You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. It's great to see you today. Great to be together. Uh, any, anybody get up and see the moon this morning? Anybody? There you go. If you saw the moon, you saw a gift. It was just, it was uh, up like about 6.30, 7 o'clock, hanging full and low in the western sky, and it's like, it was just a beautiful sight to behold. Anyway, sorry, thanks. That's my um, side, side jog, I guess. That's where my mind was going. I, I love that, uh, what Taylor's done with the scenery there, right, in the background, where he's reminded us uh, Taylor, in that video about the places where we're going to with Jesus in, in this time of Lent where we're together, um, moving from Ash Wednesday to Easter. Today we're going to be going to a wedding with Jesus because Jesus went to a wedding. And so if you've got your Bible, if you've got a, the Schweitzer app, if you've got something you want to read along, we're going to pick up in the Gospel of John and we're going to go to John chapter 2 and we're going to read about Jesus going to a wedding. So let's read together. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the celebration. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, They don't have any wine. Jesus replied, Woman, what does that have to do with me? Sorry, I said that wrong. As some of you are laughing. I really should have put in there, like, like mother. I said, Mother, what is that? But anyway... Maybe I'm, anyway, more tenderly than that. (laughs) There's no winning right now. Uh, His mother, uh, uh, what does that have to do with me? My time hasn't come yet. And his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish cleansing ritual, each able to hold about 20 or 30 gallons Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some uh, water from them and take it to the head waiter, and they did. The head waiter tasted the water that had become wine. He didn't know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the groom and said, everyone serves the good wine or the best wine first. They bring out the second-rate stuff when the guests are drinking freely, but you've kept the best until last. This was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And by it, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, Jesus and his mother, his brothers and his disciples went down to Capernaum and stayed there for a few days. The, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, that story is a story that comes up at almost every wedding that I've ever done and been a part of. Sometimes it's read. Sometimes it's something that you reference in the opening welcome to all the guests and the people who are assembled there because you're kind of reminding everybody that we've gathered together today, dearly beloved, in the sight of God and to, to join these two people together in holy matrimony and in marriage. And so that's referenced. Then you go on to talk about that. One of the things that makes marriage significant is that, is that Jesus went to a wedding. He attended a wedding. 
blessed the wedding by his presence. And every time, and then the takeaway from that is that there is this honor that's supposed to be given to marriage. Uh, and there is honor given to marriage by that act. Every time I read that line, in the back of my head, I've got other things happening. I don't know if you have other conversations that take place when, when you're doing something like that. But in the back of my head, I've got this little person who stands up and says, they wave their hands really high like this, and they say, wait, wait. There's, not in that high voice, there's a lot more. There's Honoring marriage is, is good and significant, but that's not the only thing that's happening when Jesus goes to a wedding. Jesus goes to a wedding because um, he's an honored guest. He's somebody that's, that's uh, made a significant impact or a significant com- uh, connection to a young couple or to a, an older couple. We really don't know the age, do we? He's made a significant connection, family connection, friend connection to a couple who are being brought together and they're asking God for God's blessing and they're asking the, for the blessing of the community and they are just looking forward to life ahead, a natural event in life that many of us have been to. And they're looking forward to life ahead with great joy. And Jesus and his disciples are called. They're invited to this place. And they're invited to that place to experience the joy of life. It's, um, it's striking to me that one of the things that we often see throughout the Gospels, wherever Jesus goes, is that whether people are having joy at the moment or they, they need to encounter God in a new or fresh way, one of the things that comes out of that experience is joy. Because Jesus, it looks to me like, if you read the fullness of the Gospels, that one of his objectives is to bring the joy of God the Father to the world. To the world that doesn't always know joy. To the world that, that looks for joy but can't quite find it. Jesus is somebody who's interested in joy at the heart of who God is. God wants us to have joy. So Jesus goes to a wedding because a wedding is a joyful place. It's a natural place for him to be. It's a place he loves to be. Um, when I was a kid, even when I was, when all of you in the front row, when I was your age, I, I, which <clears throat> one of the pictures that I would see often when I went to church was a picture of Jesus like, like this here. Jesus knocking on a door. That was the predominant picture that hung in, in the church that I went to. Now, that picture of, about Jesus conveys some scriptural reality. And, it's, and I, I dare say, to some of us, it's a beloved picture, right? Because it's, it's, it may give comfort to us. It may remind us of places where we, we really love it. In fact, it, it may speak to us. But what that said to me, the main picture that I got out of that out of looking at that, was that Jesus was a a serious dude, kind of serene. And I didn't really imagine in my mind that Jesus was after joy, that he he was somebody looking for joy, imbibing in joy. Um, When I was about 20, somebody else introduced me to another picture. And it's this picture that has hung in YMCA's for a long time. It's the laughing Jesus, the the Jesus that has a good dose of laughter and, and joy and expresses it with a great and hearty laugh. Um, 
I think looking at those two just reminds me that there's a lot of significant work that artists do. If you're an, if you're an artist, you have the capacity to, to help us see Jesus in the full in all of the pictures that are reflected within Scripture. And if you're not an artist, you probably are in some other form or fashion. Because all of us are artists in some way. I've been watching my sons make eggs in the morning. And they are egg artists. I tell you, they, they love to take some time to crack the eggs and to make it. One of my sons makes it just so. And when it's served up on a plate, it looks like an artist has been doing something with this. And there is incredible joy in that moment. It tastes great, and it looks beautiful, right? So artists have this capacity for us to see and to experience joy. If you're an artist, my question for you, think about those pictures of how people see Jesus. How are you helping people encounter joy, the joy of God, the joy of God that lives in the world. And if you're an artist of another kind, you know, not with brushes or ink pens or whatever, if you're an artist like the rest of us, how are you giving to the world pictures of joy, the joy of Christ, the joy of Jesus walking in the world, reflecting the goodness and the glory of God? Because all of us, all of us have that capacity to be that kind of artist, some form or fashion. So Jesus goes to a wedding. He's at the wedding. He's got his friends around him. There's some indication that his friends may be the cause of what's, of what's about to unfold. Not, not necessarily, but just some people have wondered because he has a lot of friends with him. And a lot of friends, they eat and they drink a lot of, a lot of food and drink. And at some point, his mother comes to him and he says, Jesus, we have a problem. And the problem is, is we're running out of wine. Have any of you ever been to a wedding where there's a problem? You've been to a wedding where there's a problem? Uh, several years ago, I was asked to do the wedding for my sister-in-law. And this wedding was going to be in, in Michigan, and it was, it, which is it was a beautiful setting for it. Great time of the year, great weather and they wanted to do it outside. All things were in place. I mean, lots of preparation went in to making sure that everything was just so, everything was right, everything would be perfect. It was going to be in the, f- the first weekend in August, which typically means fantastic weather. And about Thursday, the weather went unseasonably cool and wet and rainy. And suddenly, there was panic among the wedding party. Like, what in the world are we going to do? There were musicians who were going to come, and they were going to play outside. And the musicians, they got to the wedding, they're like, we can't play in this weather. The seating was all arranged to be outside. With five minutes left to go, my mother-in-law sat down in a chair, and she was just like, nothing is going right. Everything is falling apart. What do you do in that moment? That's a moment when, um, when the scene from Disney and the ending of all of their stories, you know, like life just happens happily ever after. That's like not happening in that moment. That is, is not happening in that moment. 
Well, the truth of the matter is, is whether everything goes right at a wedding or things get a little off kilter, the human dilemma, the dilemma that we all live in, is that at some point, whether it's at that moment or at some other moment, we're going to find that life introduces us to the fullness of the human dilemma. And each and every one of us are going to find ourselves coming up empty, like the, the wine was running out. We find ourselves at moments where we ourselves come to the end of who we are. Sometimes it's the person who grows up and they can't wait till they get to the place where they meet their right someone and they get married. And then they enter adulthood and they graduate college and they do all kinds of things. And somewhere along the line, they begin to wonder like, why is that dream not coming true? What is happening in that moment? Or it happens with, with um, people who get married. And, and they do all kinds of things that are just really spectacular. And then they have their first baby. But I've been there with a couple that I married, and their first baby was stillborn. And life comes crashing in. Uh, life crashes in in all kinds of ways. Sometimes it's a sickness. Sometimes it's, a, it's something that you, an accident that happens that you can't protect your, yourself against. Several years ago when I was pastoring, things got out of, out of kilter. And I found myself empty at the end of myself. Easter Sunday was coming up and I could barely get out of bed with the thought of having to preach to a congregation that didn't want to hear me preach. Everybody, everybody faces moments when you hit a wall, when you have to just say like Mary, I am empty and I don't know what to do. What do you do in those moments? The prophets in the Old Testament recognize that a number of times when we're empty, we turn, we turn to places that aren't helpful. They called it turning to, to broken cisterns or cisterns that hold stagnant water. Sometimes we go to a, something that's an addictive force. Sometimes we, we embrace the arms of another lover than the one that we really love. Sometimes we just go away. And what Mary does is insightful. Mary sees that the wine is running out, that there's an emptiness here. But Mary goes to Jesus. Now, she doesn't know what Jesus can do. She doesn't know what Jesus will do. But she just knows that at this moment, there's nobody else that she can turn to. In that moment, when I hit the wall, I give thanks that there were people around me and some people I could turn to who had, in, in the words of John Wesley, they had stayed in love with God because they could be like Jesus to me, where they could speak into my life and they could, 
They could tell me what was really true, what was really right, what was really good. Mary turns to Jesus. And he says, you know, what does that got to do with me? But there's something insightful, some insight that Mary has for us. When she says, after he says those words, she simply turns to the servants who are with him and she says, whatever he says, do it. Listen to him. If he gives you a word, listen to him. And then she walks away, not knowing what Jesus will do. Well, Jesus does do something, doesn't he? Gives them instructions, says, put the water in the vessels, take it to the master of ceremonies, and the master of ceremonies tastes wine, really good wine, wine that just flabbergasts him. And uh, he, he begins to ask a few questions. He's like, this is the best stuff that's been brought out. He's, he's really surprised. And yet John tells us the people who really see the surprise, the people who see the glory, if you will, are the people who've been the servants and his disciples. No one else really knows what went on, but they do. They know that Jesus' hand was involved in this place. And John says, in this way, Jesus began to reveal his glory in this first act. J.D. Walt, who does some writing for Seedbed, which is a, a daily text, and some of you have been getting the Seedbed devotionals with the scripture and then the reflection a couple of weeks, uh, actually about a month ago, J.D. was going through this section of John and he, he was reflecting on what is that glory that Jesus reveals? What's the, what does he let us see in this moment? And he, he offered two or three insights. One of the insights is that, I have them out of order in my head right now. Uh, one of the insights he said was this. He said there's an abundance. We see an abundance of things happening. Like Jesus Puts, tells them to put water into these vessels that are 20 and 30 gallons. Each of them hold 20 or 30 gallons. And he turns all that into wine. Somebody do the math. What's the math on that? How much wine? 120 to 180. I'm going to guess that that's a lot of wine that gets put into those jars. Somebody else actually told me it's somewhere around 300 and... I don't know, 350 or 370 bottles of wine that gets produced in that instant. That's a tremendous amount of abundance. And what J.D. Walt kind of reflectively said, what is God trying to say to us by that sense of abundance? What does he want to do? How does he want to meet us in those moments when we're empty? Here's a God who creates abundance with wine. How does God create abundance in other places? One of the other things that he reflected on was that a number of, a number of little key things within this story begin to point us, or Jesus at least begins to point the people he's with and, and us as we read to the reality that he's at a wedding, but there's a point down the road where he's going to be at a cross. And he's going to be crucified, and he's going to give his life for the world, and then he's going to be resurrected. There are these moments within the text, like in the opening part, the text says, and three days later, they went to a wedding. We never hear three days in the Gospel of John until you get to the end and the resurrection. 
And there's a moment in those moments when he says mother or woman. It's the same word that he uses later when he's on the cross and he speaks to Mary, his mother, and John, the disciple. And so there's something about foreshadowing that John is doing with us here where he's pointing us to the reality of who Jesus is and what he'll do. And there's one other thing that J.D. Walt talked about. He talked about how in the beginning of scriptures, we open up and we see a wedding between Adam and Eve. And you go to the end of scriptures and you see another wedding where all of us will become the bride of God. That's the picture at the end of the book. And here in the middle is this wedding that takes place. It strikes me that marriage, from the beginning with Adam and Eve, has always known times where there's been trial and struggle. And oftentimes, marriage is really hard and tough. And in the middle of it, In the middle of the story, God comes close to us. And he says, I recognize that reality. But I'm with you. In fact, I want to redeem this journey. I want to restore this reality because I don't know if there's any other picture I can paint than the closeness of a husband and wife to the kind of world I want all of us, I anticipate all of us to live in. The close reality that is described for us at the end of the book. So John says he reveals his glory. This last week, Pastor Jim led a celebration of life service for a guy by the name of of, mm, Paul Farley. Thank you. And Paul's wife, Patsy wrote a note about their life together. They were married 69 years and four months. Early in their marriage, they lost a baby, stillborn. But Patsy summarized their life in this one sentence where she said, over time we became aware of the Lord's providential intervention. And this became a wonder and a joy. My friends, as Jesus goes to that wedding, as he walks in the midst of our lives, there are providential interventions that he brings along the way. And with those providential interventions, he invites us to drink of wine, abundant wine, good wine, the best wine. And Mary, Mary would slip out from behind the servants and she would say this to us. Whatever he tells you, do it. Because when you do it, you'll be drinking life and eating life. This morning, we get to be a part of that celebration as we come to the table of the Lord. Because there's a cup Again, right? The cup that carried wine. And there's bread, the basic staff of life, but it's bread for the journey. As the band comes, I'd like you to pray with me. 
as we ask the Lord to do something with these elements, to meet us in this place. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the gifts of bread and the gifts of the cup that meet us in the midst of our life, that meet us on the trek of life that we are in right now at the moment. You know where there are places in our life where we're empty. You know where there are places in our life where we are rejoicing. And you know where there are places where you want to reveal your glory. This morning as we are invited to this table, would you take these elements, would you make them be for us the body and blood of Christ? And would you speak your life-giving words into the recesses of our soul that we might live and rejoice and glory in who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.